The American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. This is Jacob Yasser Schneider, editor of the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine, welcoming you to the American Thoracic Society's podcast. I would like to introduce our editorial board member, Dr. Nathan Sim of the Section of Pulmonary Critical Care Medicine at the Veterans Affairs Hospital in Washington, D.C. He is an assistant professor of medicine at George Washington University and conducts translational research on biomarkers of inflammation and coagulation in ARDS and sepsis. Welcome, Dr. Sim. Thanks, Yasha. In today's podcast, I'm joined by Dr. Jean-Francois Timsit and Dr. Damon Scales to discuss a new study that utilizes marginal structural modeling to reassess the attributable mortality of ventilator-associated pneumonia. The study by Dr. Timsit and his colleagues is published in the November 15, 2011 American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine and is entitled Attributable Mortality of Ventilator-Associated Pneumonia, a Reappraisal Using Causal Analysis. Dr. Tim Seat is Professor of Medicine and Head of the Medical ICU at the University of Grenoble, as well as the leader of an epidemiologic team in Grenoble, France. Dr. Scales wrote the accompanying editorial entitled, Pneumonia in the ICU, a Lethal or Vapid Complication. Dr. Scales is Assistant Professor in the Department of Medicine and Intradepartmental Division of Critical Care at the University of Toronto and Scientist in Clinical Epidemiology, Trauma, Emergency, and Critical Care Program at Sunnybrook Research Institute. We will start with a question for Dr. Tim C. The data that is the basis for your article comes from a large French database. Can you please describe this database for our listeners? Yes, of course. Uh, Outcome REA is an ongoing prospective observational collaborative study group that includes detailed clinical and outcome data on patients admitted to participating French ICUs. The participating ICUs recorded in particular iatrogenic events and nosocomial infection with common procedures and definitions. In particular, the ventilator-associated pneumonia diagnosis is always based on quantitative proximal or distal samplings performed before any change of antimicrobial therapy. Data are included in the outcome REA database has been collected by senior physicians or by trained monitors in the participating ICUs, and in some cases, participants uh, in the outcome REAC groups have enrolled consecutive patients admitted to ICU, or in others, sampling has been performed where all consecutive admissions during a period of time during the year or to certain ICU beds are included. For each patient, the data were entered into an electronic case report forms and all case report forms were then entered in the Outcombria Data Warehouse. The data capture software automatically conducts multiple checks for internal consistencies and most of the variable at entry in the database. Queries generated by these checks were resolved with the source ICU before incorporation in the new data into the database. Which patients from this large database were included in the current study? All uh, invasively mechanically ventilated patients for more than 48 hours were included in the dialysis, and patients were censored 48 hours after successful extubation. 
So one of the challenges regarding the diagnosis of ventilator-associated pneumonia is the fact that the criteria have long been debated, and these criteria have varied in prior studies. So I would ask you to clarify how ventilator-associated pneumonia was defined in this study. We made a particular effort to homogenize the VAP definition. First of all, when VAP was suspected, a quantitative sample was performed. Second, all the participating ICUs accepted to collect a sample before any change of antimicrobial therapy when VAP was suspected. So, Dr. Timsey, every diagnosis of ventilator-associated pneumonia was based on quantitative cultures? Yes, it is. By definition, in all the participating ICUs, a diagnosis required at least one quantitative sampling, which grew at a significant level. Consequently, all the microorganisms were recovered using a quantitative culture. Dr. Scales, I would ask you to comment on the criteria used for the diagnosis of ventilator-associated pneumonia in the current study. Sure, thank you. I actually think this is one of the most important strengths of this study. Because the authors had access to detailed information for diagnosing VAP, this helped to reduce the risk of ascertainment bias. Importantly, this information for diagnosing VAP was collected daily and systematically from all patients. I suppose that some other studies have gone to additional lengths, including duplicate adjudication of each case of VAP, but this requires considerable resources and can be time-consuming and costly. This cohort had patients who were randomly selected from multiple hospitals over more than a decade, which improves the generalizability of their results. So, Dr. Scales, I was quite impressed that all the diagnosis of VAP was made with quantitative cultures, which is a rarity. How often were you practicing these quantitative cultures? Yeah, that's a good question. We don't use them routinely in our ICU, and I think many clinicians will feel the same way. However, for a study like this, it's important that the diagnosis of VAP be as specific as possible. And I think that when you're trying to understand the attributable mortality of this diagnosis, uh, this was a very important methodological step. Dr. Timsey, I want to spend a little time describing one of the things that's quite novel in your study, the use of marginal structural modeling to actually quantify the attributable mortality of ventilator-associated pneumonia. I would ask you to take a few moments to explain marginal structural modeling analysis and why it would be particularly useful in studying attributable mortality. I will try in a few sentences to explain the statistical analysis. The attributable mortality concept uh, moved a lot uh, during the, the past 20 years. First of all, patients who develop ventilator-associated pneumonia are not the same that patients who did not. It is true on ICU admission, but it is also true during the ICU stay before VIP onset. As the sickest patients on admission and during the ICU stay will develop more VAP and will have a poorer prognosis, patient severity and procedure use acted as confounding factors in evaluating the attributable mortality of VAP. The second point is, as the risk of VAP is related to the duration of previous mechanical ventilation, it is, of course, really important to take into account the previous duration of mechanical ventilation. One traditional way to do it is to match VAP patients to uninfected patients according to the previous duration of mechanical ventilation. But doing that, we consider that VAP occurred at the beginning of mechanical ventilation 
and we do not consider that a VAP patient is not infected before the VAP onset. This time-dependent bias artificially increases the attributable mortality of VAP. That is why an alternate approach, traditional approach, is to estimate the attributable mortality using a Cox model, introducing VAP as a time-dependent covariate. But doing it, we ignore a very important bias in this setting, that is that ICU discharge is an informative censoring. Patients that are extubated at a time T are considered by the Cox model of being at the same risk of mortality than another patient still intubated and mechanically ventilated at the same time point T. And it is a very, very important informative censoring. In other words, patients' extubations act as a competing event in estimating the ICU risk of death. That is why models for competing risk that jointly model the risk of death and the risk of extubation are needed. So to resume our problem, we would like to take into account the daily risk of VAP that act as a confounding factor and the competition between ICU deaths and extubation. For doing that, we estimated, using a daily logistic regression model, the risk of VAP. We then calculated the daily predicted risk of having a VAP. The marginal structural model is then able to calculate what would have been the mortality on a specific day if all patients would have remained VAP-free or alternatively would have acquired VAP. Using this weight, it is possible to calculate on each day the difference between observed ICU mortality and the ICU mortality that would have been observed for the same population if VAP were prevented for all divided by the observed ICU mortality. This quantity is called the population attributable fraction. This population attributable fraction could be interpreted as the percentage of ICU deaths that could be avoided in preventing all VAP. Dr. Scales, I'd ask you for your thoughts about utilizing marginal structural modeling, not only to study attributable mortality due to ventilator-associated pneumonia, but more broadly, other disease in critically ill patients. Yeah, I think the use of marginal structural modeling in this study was the really novel contribution compared to previous research on this topic. These analytical techniques are likely to become much more frequently used in ICU studies that seek to estimate the effects of a time-dependent exposure, in this case VAP, on an outcome, like mortality, when there are all these other time-dependent covariates that may simultaneously be confounders and also intermediate variables, like worsening severity of illness. I think we're going to see much more of these models used in future research. Then, Dr. Tim Seat, I'd ask you, what were the findings of the study? Well, we found that the attributable mortality of VAP exists, but have been largely overestimated. We found that VAP increased by 2.3% the ICU deaths per additional day since the onset of VAP. It corresponds to a 1% attributable mortality on day 30. It is higher by approximately 30% if the treatment is not immediately appropriate. Interestingly, 
it is highest for the patients with low or intermediate simplified acute physiologic score on admission and become negligible in the most severe patients. Dr. Scales, how does the attributable mortality in this study compare to mortality in other studies of ventilator-associated pneumonia? Well, the problem here is that previous estimates of the attributable mortality of VAP have varied so widely from almost no impact to a doubling of ICU mortality risk in some observational studies. When people have tried to pool the results of clinical trials where the diagnosis of VAP has been more careful, the average attributable mortality has been estimated to be about 9%. This study, I think, provides the most realistic estimate of the attributable mortality of VAP to date, and it's certainly much lower than most of these previous reports. I was surprised that the ventilator-associated pneumonia attributable mortality in the study was so low. And I'd ask you, Dr. Timsey, do you think you found lower mortality than some of the other investigators that Dr. Scales alluded to because the traditional statistical methods that you just described have overestimated mortality in the past? I totally agree with Dr. Scales' point of view that the variation is absolutely considerable. It depends on both considerations. The first one is the definition. When the definition is not sufficiently specific, we have an underestimation of the risk of death. And it is probably why some of the studies did not find any attributable mortality. On the other hand, in other studies, the risk has been overestimated because they didn't take into account the confounding factors. And in my opinion, our estimation corresponds to our clinical feeling that patients partly die from, but also partly die with ventilator-associated pneumonia. Dr. Scales, I was wondering what your thoughts were on the attributable mortality found in this study. So actually, I think that their results will likely confirm the prior beliefs of many ICU clinicians. I think that most of us feel that VAP is undesirable, but we also recognize that the patients that get VAP are usually our sickest patients. And I think that we're seldom convinced that VAP is actually the direct cause of someone's death. I think this is a much more realistic estimation and will resonate with most clinicians. Dr. Stinson, I'd like to follow up. You mentioned that the sickest patient attributable mortality was lowest as opposed to patients who were less sick or intermediate severity of illness. Did that surprise you? Probably the sickest patients die from their underlying illness, and the subsequent added mortality due to ventilator-associated pneumonia became uh, totally negligible. It is the first time that it is clearly demonstrated to the best of my knowledge, so I think it's really important. Probably we don't need to, when considering a tool for benchmarking, probably it will be more important to consider the less sick patients in an ICU population. Dr. Tinsley, one thing one must consider that there could have been methodologic reasons for the low attributable mortality. I wanted to ask you about one aspect that I was curious. The study classifies some patients who were extubated more than 48 hours as patients with ventilator-associated pneumonia. And one would wonder, did the inclusion of these patients who were likely less sick than patients still requiring mechanical ventilation reduce the attributable mortality? Well, the patients were censored 48 hours after extubation because this delay defined successful extubation. If patients were reintubated in this time frame, 
They remained at risk for VAP, but they were not considered by the model as VAP patients. Extubated patients were not considering as having VAP, but were considered still at risk of having one. I see. Dr. Scales, your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with the STEM in your question. I think that these non-ventilated patients were likely not as sick as ventilated patients with VAP, and this could have led to an underestimation of attributable mortality. However, the authors addressed this by conducting a sensitivity analysis that removed these patients, and their results were actually quite similar. I'm also reassured that this group of patients represented only a very small proportion, about 6% of the overall group. Dr. Timson, how did the DNR rate in the database compare to what you typically see in the ICU? Well, the DNR order is not really the same than in U.S., so we use most of time the decision to forego life-sustaining therapy, much more than DNR. And uh, in France, about half of uh, ICU patients died with uh, the FSLT order, and our uh, rate is quite comparable to the one that has been observed by others in the past. And Dr. Scales, I'd ask you, do you think that that rate may affect the generalizability of that attributable mortality to North American populations? Yeah, I do think that that rate uh, may not be generalizable to other areas or other environments, but I'm not concerned that this should change our overall interpretation of the study results, namely that the attributable mortality due to VAP is certainly much lower than has been previously estimated. So, Dr. Timson, I would ask you, what do you think the implications of your findings are? Well, of course, the attributable mortality will vary according to patient's population, and perhaps the result will be different in other ICU settings. Of course, other studies performed in the U.S. could be very important to perform. I think that the use of this kind of models is really important because we move to a next step of epidemiology in ICU, trying to perform a very close adjustment on confounding factors and taking into account all the intercurrent events and all the competing events. So I think this kind of models uh, also need to be uh, used more and more in ICU and outside the ICU in order to better estimate all the risk of any uh, intercurrent event that occur during the ICU stay. Dr. Tinsid, as a follow-up, are you studying other diseases such as catheter-related bloodstream infection or other illnesses in critically ill patients with marginal structural modeling analysis? The problem for this kind of models at this time is that the computing of this kind of model is not automatic and quite complex for the moment, and I encourage all the mathematicians to develop a new library for software in order to use it more extensively. We, of course, try to implement this kind of model to try to better interpret the attributable mortality for other uh, intercurrent events, uh, such as uh, catheter-related bloodstream infection, but also iatrogenic events, such as uh, pneumothorax uh, or any other intercurrent events that occur during the ICU stay. Dr. Scales, if traditional statistical methods are truly overestimating mortality, what are the implications of lower-than-expected VAP attributable mortality? 
Well, I think that this may lead some to question the value of more expensive measures to reduce VAP, especially when cost-effectiveness studies have not considered the potential for confounding due to evolving disease severity. I think that also it should be recognized that to achieve that 5% reduction in mortality, we would have to eliminate all episodes of VAP, and this should cause us to set more realistic expectations about the impact of individual interventions to reduce VAP, since none are likely to vanquish the complication completely. Dr. Tinsit, then to follow up what Dr. Scale said, do we need new cost-effectiveness analyses of ventilator bundles and other measures that are implemented to decrease a condition that we now suspect has a lower mortality than may be initially appreciated? Well, I think that not only the attributable mortality is important, but also the increase in the duration of mechanical ventilation and the increase in the cost. And uh, in our study, we did not measure the increase in the duration of ICU stay, but uh, I think the, the increased duration of ICU stay uh, due to ventilator-associated pneumonia is really high. And perhaps we should consider this kind of event, uh, much more than attributable mortality, as an endpoint uh, for a bundle of care. Dr. Scales, your thoughts? I think that those are some really important points, and I agree completely. I think that as ICU doctors, we get very focused and preoccupied by preventing deaths, but I think that there are many other outcomes that we want to prevent that represent intermediates between having VAP and actually having your patient die. So I agree completely that we might want to just realign our focus to thinking about how preventing VAP might improve other clinical outcomes for our patients. Well, then, Dr. Scales, in your editorial, you mentioned that VAP rates are sometimes used as a quality indicator by both clinicians and payers. Do the results of this study influence your thoughts about using VAP rates as a benchmark? Yeah, that's a good point. So there are many challenges to using VAP as a quality measure. For example, the challenges with having systematic methods for diagnosing the complication across many units. But I think that this study will certainly serve to temper some of the enthusiasm that there is for benchmarking based solely on this complication. We tend to focus on VAF because it's relevant to so many of our patients, but perhaps some of our efforts should be refocused elsewhere. Dr. Timsey, any final thoughts? I totally agree with Dr. Scales that we must uh, use VAP, but also many other events uh, for trying to improve the ICU outcome of our patients. And I think the use of VAP for benchmarking is uh, quite dangerous because, as you know, ventilator-associated pneumonia is due to exogenous factors, but also to the patients itself to endogenous factors. So it is very difficult to compare one ICU to another and to compare one rate to another without taking into account many, many intercurrent factors. Well, I think that we need to have much more than one event to measure in order to know precisely what are the quality of one ICU care. Thank you both for joining me today. That will bring today's podcast to a close. You can find the study by Dr. Tim Seat and colleagues, as well as Dr. Scales' accompanying editorial in the November 15, 2011 issue of the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine. A complete archive of the ATS article discussion podcast can be found at thoracic.org. In addition, you can get a free subscription to ATS podcast by searching in iTunes for American Thoracic Society article discussion. I'm Nitin Seem for the American Thoracic Society.